Well, if you can take your Bibles and turn to the passage that was just read by Caitlin, Ephesians four twenty-five through thirty-two. That's our text for this morning. We've been spending on working our way through the book of Ephesians, and two weeks ago, and last week, and and today, we are moving into a new section, Ephesians four where what Paul is doing is he is telling us and teaching us now that Ephesians 1 through 3 is true about us because we have a new identity as those who are now part of the family of God and we're chosen by God and we're, we've got the forgiveness of sins and we're fully redeemed and we're part of this new community of believers because we have been given a new gospel identity both individually and corporately Paul then challenges us in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6 to live out that identity more consistently, more comprehensively. So the last two weeks, Pastor Andrew, I think, has been doing an excellent job of showing us, based on who we already are, this is who we need to be more consistent. In other words, Paul is saying in Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, I want you to be in real time who you already are by the grace of God. So this morning, uh, Paul is going to orient us to three areas of life. He's going to tell us, in light of the fact that you've been chosen, in light of the fact that you're part of the family of God and you've been adopted, in light of the fact that God has graciously poured out his grace on you so that now you're alive to God and you're, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. You're, you're now part of this new humanity, the, the body of Christ. Because these things are true of you and have been given to you by grace, unearned, not performed for, I want you to live out this, this new identity you, you have with one another in three very particular areas. The first area is this. In light of the fact that we are new people and we're part of a new community of believers, Paul is going to challenge us, firstly, to be generous in our speech. In other words, we ought to be speaking in fundamentally different ways than the rest of the culture. And I think we need to hear this more, now more than ever because we live in a culture that is, is polarized. We live in a culture that, that it, it, they call it the cancel culture. You make one mistake on social media, you'll be destroyed. People don't know how to handle their conflict. People don't know how to speak to one another in appropriate ways. And as the people of God, and as people who have been given the grace of Christ in abundance... Paul says, we need, as the people of God, to be generous in your speech. Now, now let, me, let me flesh that out for you. Let's look at verse 25. There's a number of features of what does it mean to have generous speech that Paul's going to outline for us. In verse 25, he says, Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. The first aspect of what it means to be generous in, in our speech is that we speak the truth to one another. And, and Paul uh, p- commands us to do this. Why? Because we are members one of another. Again, Paul reminds us, this is who you are. You are members of this new community. Therefore, your speech should reflect this new reality. And we're supposed to speak 
truth to one another. Put away falsehood. Speak the truth. Now, I want to take this in, in two directions. Um, there's lots you could say about speaking the truth. I mean, that's a huge category. But I, I would say there are two specific areas of truth-telling that ought to characterize us because we are members one of another. The first is this. Speaking the truth to one another should mean that we honestly share how we are actually doing with other believers. This drives me crazy. Now, it drives me less crazy since there's only 10 people in the sanctuary today. So there's only 10 people going to lie to me today when I ask, how are you doing? And they'll go, fine. How's, how's everything going? That's okay. That could mean anything. But, but oftentimes, we, we don't tell one another what we're struggling with. We don't tell each other the problems that we're facing. We are so quick to hide. We are so quick to say, I'm fine. We are so quick to say, everything's, it's okay. It's not too bad. When the reality is, we may be struggling with very significant spiritual, physical, and emotional issues. It's interesting, in every church I've ever been a part of, um, I, I have people come to me and say, I don't know if I fit at your church because nobody, everybody else seems to have it all together. Everybody else seems to have no problems. And I feel uncomfortable because I feel like I've got a lot of problems. And what's the problem? Well, the problem is we're not speaking the truth to one another. We're not putting away falsehood. We're putting on a mask. We're putting on a, a, a sort of a persona that says, I've got it all together. We're, we're very reluctant to, in humility, tell people what we're really struggling with in real time. Now, I don't think Paul is trying to suggest here that you need to put all of your struggles on Facebook all the time or put it on Instagram this afternoon. I don't think you need, you need to put all of your struggles out on the prayer chain for everyone. But I think what Paul is saying is if we're going to speak the truth to one another, we have to share our struggles with some other believers in the community of faith that we happen to belong to. We have to do that. And the reality is when we don't share how we are struggling, when we don't tell the truth about how, what's really going on in our hearts, we, we, give the, 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 we give the perception that we're a body of believers where everybody has it all together. And people become even more reluctant to share honestly and openly what they're struggling with. But when you do share with someone, maybe in your small group, maybe a, a few people that you know well, maybe to share with your, your, your elder of your parish, what you're struggling with, asking for prayer, you give permission to the people you share with that they can do the same thing to you and to others. Well, that's one aspect of what it means to speak the truth, to be generous in our speech. I think the other part of, of, of speaking honestly to one another is that we give honest feedback to one another. In other words, when we, we, we're in this, this household of faith, we're in the family of God. For example, in a healthy family, if a family member is not acting right, if a family member is not uh, doing what they need to do, a healthy family would talk to that family member. And say, what's going on? What, what, you, you know, you, something's not right. They would, they would have loving confrontation. They would have loving interaction. They would give feedback. So that we can understand how we're coming across to other people. So we can be corrected. So that we can be, we, we, we can be challenged. So that we can learn. So that we can grow. And this I find in the church 
doesn't always happen either. Those conversations are too rare, in my opinion. In all of the churches I've been to, we don't have this open, honest, loving, truth-telling to help each of us who may be struggling. I remember um, I, one of my, my gift, one of the things I'm most good at is I, I can sleep in any possible position or place. I'm amazing. In fact, my family is, is, it takes pictures of me routinely when I fall asleep. They're, and they're going to put a calendar together, they said, maybe even this Christmas. But they've got me sleeping out on the grass at Community Park Pool here in Princeton. That was beautiful. They've, they've got me sleeping on the, on the floor of the living room while I've tried to watch a movie with the family. They've got me sleeping in couches and chairs and in the car, everywhere. And I'm good at that. And uh, several years ago, I fell asleep pretty early in the evening. And one of my family members, not my wife, one of my children, who I love dearly, took a Sharpie and put a huge black cross on my forehead. Well, because I'm a good sleeper, I didn't sense what had happened to me. And I woke up to fire engines, sirens outside my house. And before my wife could stop me, I ran out to see what was going on. And it was the Rocky Hill Fire Department uh, wishing us a Merry Christmas. And and they had all the fire engines going by and they were kind of stuck in front of my house. And I went out and said, what in the world's going on? And I noticed that people were looking at me funny. Like, what's this guy with a cross? What cult is this guy from? Some people snickered. I didn't understand it. And when I came back in, my family was on the floor laughing their heads off. I looked in the mirror and there was the cross. Well, that's kind of fun, funny, but it's not so funny when we fail to have honest conversations with our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we can tell are struggling with something. We know something's not right with them. We can see it. We see behavior. We hear their speech and we do nothing and let them walk around with a, well, worse than, but like a big cross on their forehead with undealt with issues week after week, month after month. We are members one of another. We must be talking to one another honestly, sharing our struggles, but also having those difficult conversations that we all need to have with one another so that we can live more consistently with who we already are in Jesus Christ. Now, Paul goes on to talk more about what generous speech uh, looks like. Verse 29, he says, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as is good for building up, as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Paul says the other part of generous speech is uh, you you don't have corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but you, you have speech to other people that builds them up. It's good for building up. Paul goes on to say, it, 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 not only does it build them up, but it fits the occasion. We provide personalized, specific words of encouragement to our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. This is also what it means to have generous speech. 
closes out by saying that it may give grace to those who hear. This is, I, I think, part of the pattern here. We've been given grace. What has God called us? He said that we're chosen. He said that we're redeemed. He said that we're forgiven. He said that we, we have full redemption. He says he, we have the spirit of God. We've been placed into this new community of believers. He said these wonderful, encouraging words, and he expects us as the followers of Jesus Christ to provide specific, grace-filled, building up conversations with those around us. I suspect for some of us this week, we need to intentionally plan to have two or three of these conversations. A quick text to somebody providing encouragement, a quick email, a quick phone call. Sit down and write a letter and send it. It would be appropriate. It's what we ought to be doing for one another. This is what Paul is saying. Because we are members one of another, we of all people ought to be building one another up, giving grace specifically, intentionally to one another. That's part of what it means to live out our new identity in Jesus Christ. Stephen Covey um, said this, treat a man as he is, and he will remain as he is. Treat a man as he can and should be, and he will become as he can and should be. In other words, in the body of Christ, we need to be open and honest about our struggles. We also need to be open and honest about what we see in in our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and provide loving engagement with them for the things that they are struggling in. But we also need to be building people up Intentionally, specifically, personally, part of what it means to be generous in our speech. One last comment about uh, what Paul says here in putting away falsehood and, and speaking the truth with one another and then intentionally building people up, giving grace to those who hear. It's my experience in all of the churches I've ever been a part of is that Christians, for some reason, struggle with handling conflict in a biblical way. We typically avoid conflict because we think that's kind of the nice Christian thing to do. Let's don't say anything that might hurt somebody's feelings and let's don't share our struggles. Um, we, we, we tend to think that might be the better approach. But Paul is, is arguing here for a robust community, a robust and healthy functional family where the difficult conversations of life are happening frequently, often. Where the kind of honesty that we would want from people who love us dearly would happen again and again and would not be rare, but would be normal. One of the things we plan to do as we head into 2021, we're going to be meeting with uh, all of the ministry leaders of our church. So you're probably, most of you, many of you are going to get invited to this. We're going to do it every month. And the first topic we are going to be looking at, because I think most Christians struggle with this, is how do we handle conflict biblically? How do we learn to build a culture We're honesty about our struggles, honesty about your struggles. The kind of conversations that build up as we live together in community, as we 
pursue becoming more like Christ together, as we pursue helping one another to become more like Christ, can happen in a normal, regular, and powerful way. So stay tuned for that. That's the first area that Paul calls us to, to be generous in our speech. But he also, the second area is he wants us to be generous with our finances. Look at verse 28. He says, let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. It's an interesting section because Paul is, 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 is encouraging someone in the church apparently is stealing. Someone in the church apparently is, is uh, n- not working and, and earning their own keep, but, but either relying on the largesse of others or actually stealing themselves, stealing from other people. And what Paul does in this is he says, no, stop stealing and, and, and work doing honest work with his own hands. And then Paul gives one of the reasons why God gives us work, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Now, this isn't the only reason why God gives us work to do. It's not the only reason that God calls us to be uh, employed in a, in, in a Uh, in some kind of honest labor, whether that actually gets compensated financially or not, he calls us all to work and to be involved. Why? So that we would have something to share with anyone in need. Part of the gift of work that we all have, whether you're earning a paycheck, whether you're home managing your home and managing it frugally so that the money that comes in is more than the the money you spend so that you have money left over to give to those who have a need. What Paul is saying is because we are now part of this new community, because we are part of, of this new family, Part of the reason we go to work, we earn work, is not to spend all the money on ourselves, but to spend less than the money that God provides through our work so that we can be generous and share with those in need. This is part of what it means to live out our new identity together. And I just want to encourage you, Stonehill Church, I think that many of you do this. At the beginning of the pandemic, we, we, we had uh, a little less than $10,000 in our benevolence fund, and we thought we would need more. And so we sent out an email to you. We might need more help. And lo and behold, you gave $90,000 in a period of two weeks. And we've been distributing that money to needy families, not only in our church, but in our community a tangible display of the love of God. And you are the reason we've been able to do that. Recently, we have a, a small initiative that we've been taking. Uh, uh, Lindsay Luciano and uh, Pastor Andrew have been contacting business owners and managers in Princeton Shopping Center and been talking to them about the needs that some of their workers might have, some of them being furloughed, some of them having their hours cut because of the pandemic, and then offering a variety of services that Stonehill can provide. Now, we're going about this slowly. We don't want to be inundated with, you know, hundreds of needs we can't meet. But what is fascinating is to hear the responses of the business owners who are shocked that a church, a group of Christians, would be offering this kind of tangible help to the people that they're concerned with who work for them. And a few have even responded by giving us opportunities to minister. Stonehill, you did that. 
as you worked and, 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 and you weren't stealing, but you were working and doing an, an honest job, making more money than you could spend on yourself and then being generous with that, you enable us to do that. I think of Stonehill, Westerly Road. I think about the history of this church and to know that this church continues to send out 35 global partners who are all around the world, some in the States, some around the world, who are busily involved in sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ in tangible ways, sharing the message of the gospel of Christ through your generosity. And I encourage a number of you to join our prayer call. We pray every Tuesday night at seven. The next two weeks, one of our global partners from New England uh, will be sharing, Tim Zulker. And the week after that, our global partner working in Haiti will also be in that call. And I would just love you to be part of that, to hear a report of what God is doing through them and in them to the people they're called to minister and to know that you, we, Stonehill Church, had a plan, had a part in that because of your generosity. That's the second area of life that Paul is calling us to live out our new identities, to be generous with our finances. Lastly, Paul is going to call us to do something very, very difficult, and that is to be generous with our forgiveness. Let's take a look at it because he mentions another element of forgiveness that we want to work through here. If we go back up to verse 26, Paul writes, he says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil. What is interesting about uh, this text is Paul is acknowledging that it is possible to be angry and not sin. Matthew Henry uh, writes about this. He says, if we would be angry and not sin, we must be angry at nothing but sin. And we should be more jealous for the glory of God than for any interest or reputation of our own. So it is possible to be angry about the things that God is angry with. In fact, there's lots of things in the world we probably all ought to be a little more angry about. All kinds of injustice. But I think Paul was a realist and he knew that often anger, even righteous anger, can easily devolve into unrighteous anger. And so he says, be angry and do not sin. And he goes on to say, do not let the sun go down on your anger. Now, I don't think he's literally saying you have to resolve every conflict with your spouse before the sun goes down. That may not be possible. But I think he's saying is you can't let unresolved conflict and your anger go on for days and days and weeks and months. Solve it. Deal with it. Have those hard conversations he talked about earlier and being honest with one another. And then he reminds us, give no opportunity to the devil. Unresolved conflict. When our anger is, begins to grow and fester and it's not being dealt with. When in our anger we don't confront the person we might be angry with and not have that difficult conversation. It's easy for the thing to fester and then the devil has an opportunity to undermine our walk with Christ because we are not appropriately dealing with our anger. 
In verse 31, he takes this further. And what does it mean to be generous in forgiveness? He says, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. Paul acknowledges that when there's unresolved conflict, when you're hurt by someone and you're not having that conversation, it's easy to become bitter. You become frustrated. Your heart becomes harder to that person. You have wrath. You have anger. You have clamor. You have slander. It's easy when you don't deal with someone you're in a conflict with, you don't talk to them, you will talk to somebody. And now you begin to slander them. Now you begin to talk about them. And then what happens? You have malice. You have a distance that takes place between you and the person you're in conflict with. A distance where there's a built up feeling of dislike and frustration with the person that you're not dealing with. Paul says we need to put all those aside. And then verse 32, he says, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Well, there's a dark side to this verse. The reason Paul puts it here and he talks about don't let the sun go down in your anger and don't let the devil get a foothold. He's, he's anticipating that even in the church, even in the new community of believers, even in a Christian family, he anticipates there will be need to offer forgiveness to someone. Paul is anticipating that we will not perfectly live out of our new identity. We won't perfectly live consistently with who we already are. And then we're going to have to forgive one another. We're going to have to deal with our anger and our malice and our bitterness. He's anticipating that even in God's family, there will be need to forgive your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's just like a normal family, even in a healthy family. There's all kinds of confessions of sin that have to be made. We sin against each other, even in the best of families. And in the family of God, we should not find it surprising that we are put in a situation where we're going to have to practice forgiveness, a generous forgiveness with one another. Now, for some, the issue of forgiveness is a difficult word. I mean, what does it mean? Well, forgiveness is... is, is when we were forgiven by God, we violated God's commands. We did not do what he wanted. And therefore we had a debt with God. We owed a debt to God that we couldn't pay. And what happens when Jesus Christ forgives us is because he died on the cross, took our sin upon himself, died the the death we deserved. He paid the debt for that sin so that he could provide us full forgiveness with God himself. And when we forgive other people, that's what we're being asked to do. We're being asked to cancel the debt that someone owes us for their words that they spoke to us, the actions that they, 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 they did to us, the, the, the things they didn't do that they should have done, the things they should have said that they didn't say. Just to give you a little more help on understanding what forgiveness is, there are four promises when you need to forgive someone. There are four promises you need to make. When you forgive someone, you basically commit to that person, I will not dwell on the offense that you did to me. I will not dwell on it anymore. Promise number one. Promise number two, I will not bring up this incident to you again. It's over. Promise number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. 
and four, I will not let this incident stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. These are the four promises of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not a feeling, it's an action. It's not, oh, I feel like forgiving. No, you do it because it's what God says you need to do. And of course, the text is very clear. Verse 32, be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. The basis of living out of our new identity is recognizing that God forgave us. Therefore, I can forgive you. He, he, he laid down his life for me so that my sins were forgiven. I can deal with the sin and the hurt that you did to me the words that you said to me. Now, I must tell you, in about 30 years of pastoral ministry, the biggest problem in dealing with believers who were struggling to live out their new identity was related to the fact that there was an unforgiving spirit or there was a bitterness, or there was malice, or there was a lack of forgiveness that the believer was not giving to someone in their life that was choking off their spiritual life. More than anything else, when believers come and are struggling to, 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 to live out their new identity, that one of the main problems I see, the biggest problem, the most, uh, I would say the most common problem is that somebody had hurt them in their life, either a family of origin, something at work, something in another church, something in the present church they were in. And they just could not obey this command to be generous in their forgiveness with the person who hurt them. They nursed that hurt. They thought about that hurt. They let lots of time go on without even addressing the issue with the person they were hurt with. The devil came in and got an opportunity and put a damper, a massive damper on the spiritual development of that individual who refuses or won't or doesn't deal with the bitternesses in their heart by forgiving other people who have hurt them. I appeal to each of you, if you are that person today, if you have failed to forgive somebody from your past or in your present, if you have nursed a bitterness that's still there, I appeal to you, to work on that even this week, to ask God to help you. And if you need to reach out to some other people or some church leaders, please do, because we'd love to help you walk through a forgiveness project so that you can be released of your bitterness and your malice that's choking off your Christian life. I think the way Paul would put it here, and I think the way he has put it is, if we are the people of God who've been forgiven by grace of everything we've ever done and everything we ever will do, and we've been forgiven through the blood of Jesus Christ, and then we turn around and fail to forgive someone who's hurt us, we are living so inconsistently with who we really are. That it actually, I think, 
keeps us from fully understanding who we are because we're not doing the very thing that's at the, that's at ground zero of our new identity, which is being forgiven. If you want to read an arresting verse this afternoon, you should read in Matthew six after the Lord's prayer. In the Lord's Prayer, uh, Jesus is teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, you know, forgive us our debts, even as we forgive those who trespass against us. So he's telling us we need to be confessing our sin before God and confessing our sin before one another, but forgiving one another. And then after the Lord's Prayer, the verses read something, something like this. If you don't forgive other people, neither will your heavenly Father forgive you. Now, I don't think this means that if you have a bitter heart or an unforgiving spirit, you're, you're not a believer or you can't be a believer or you're, you never were a believer. I don't think it's saying that. What I think it's saying is you are never going to experience the fullness of your identity as a forgiven child of God as long as you hold bitterness over somebody else's head. We can't live inconsistent with who we really are without dire consequences for our spiritual life. One last thing before we, as we close. If you go back up to verse 30, it's a very interesting little verse packed in the middle of this section. He says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. I think what Paul is saying here is that any time we do something that undermines the unity of the body of Christ, any time we fail to share our struggles or, or maybe we fail to confront someone, we're not honest, or any time we, we, uh, we're not generous with our resources, or any time we hold on to bitterness rather than forgive, it says the Holy Spirit is grieved. You think about that. You know, it doesn't say the Holy Spirit's angry, you know, with us. Because in some sense, the anger against us was taken on by Jesus. But it does say the Spirit of God, who, who is in the process of, of bringing us together and, and, and helping us be this unified family of God, when we do anything to undermine that unity through action or through inaction, the Holy Spirit is grieved. He suffers. Because we're failing to live out of the identity that he has given us by grace. But what's interesting is Paul says, don't, do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. But then he says, by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So he says, don't grieve the Holy Spirit. But he's also saying, if you find yourselves uh, affecting the unity of the body of Christ, grieving the Spirit... You're not being honest about your struggles. You're not being honest about someone else's issues. You're holding on to bitterness. You're not being generous. If you're grieving the Holy Spirit, what, what, what the, 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 the second part of the sentence means, but you're still sealed by him for the day of redemption. In other words, what our new identity should do for us since we have been redeemed and sealed for the day of redemption, since our security is complete in Jesus. We of all people should be able to be brutally honest with ourselves, brutally honest with one another. Because even if we're not living out as comprehensively and consistently as we ought to, 
the fundamental identity that we have in Jesus Christ given to us by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit is not changed because it's a gift. And even when we're not doing as well as we ought to, it, it, all of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3 is still true about us. And it's when you see that that enables you to live out your new identity with transparency, with honesty, with generosity, with forgiveness, knowing full well that while we may grieve the Holy Spirit from time to time, and we'll need to deal with that, that does not undermine who we are in Christ. So by God's grace, may we be generous in our speech. May we be generous with our finances. May we be generous with our forgiveness so that who we already are as believers, as forgiven, as children of God, as being part of this new humanity, the church, that we will more consistently live out this identity as we learn to be generous in our speech and the giving of our resources and the giving of forgiveness. And let me tell you, Stonehill, we live in a culture at this particular time, 2020, we live in a culture where harshness of speech, lack of forgiveness, anger, clamor, bitternesses, wrath, malice, all of this is, is played, out on, played out in our culture all the time. We live in a culture that has no idea how to resolve conflict, how to speak to one another in productive ways. And as we live out our new identity, I believe we have an opportunity as never before to demonstrate to the world the reality of Christ and how we treat one another. By God's grace, let us do that. Let's pray together. Dear Father in heaven, I thank you that we are forgiven. I thank you that we are in a new community. I thank you that you have chosen us before the foundation of the world. I thank you that you've given us redemption through the blood of Jesus Christ and all the other blessings of Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. I thank you that these are ours by grace. I pray that because these things are true of us by grace, I pray that we would live them out in daily life in a deeper way, in a more consistent way. Generous in our speech, generous in the giving of our resources and generous in forgiveness so that the world, when they see this group of believers called Stonehill Church, would get a tangible Expression, a tangible picture of the great love that you have already poured out on us. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.